Welcome to the Calvary Chapel South Bay Sermon Podcast. We are a large, multi-ethnic, multi-generational church in Los Angeles, California, and we'd love to have you visit us for a service if you're in the L.A. area. Visit ccsouthbay.org to learn more about us and to find out service times. If you have any questions, shoot us an email at hello at ccsouthbay.org. Enjoy today's sermon, and we hope to see you at church soon. Well, good morning, church. We're going to continue our study through the Gospel of Mark. If you have your Bible, take it out. It's Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10. We're going to be in two other areas of Scripture. That is Hebrews chapter 3 and Ephesians chapter 5. Once again, those areas of Scripture, Mark chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 3, and then Ephesians chapter 5 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the gospel according to Mark. Now, as I promised, we are going to be talking about today uh, going into the relationship, especially in regards to marriage, especially in regards to marriage. And so, would you go with me to the Lord in prayer? Now, listen, if you need a Bible, please, uh, if you need a Bible, um, go ahead and uh, take the Bible out of the seat back pocket in front of you, um, and you can turn to those areas of Scripture as well. Why don't we go to the Lord in prayer? Father, thank you so much for your word. And thank you, Jesus, that you have given us your word that gives us life. And our prayer, Lord, is that you would move in a powerful way right now to be able, Lord, to hear your word. Give us the grace and the understanding, Jesus, to know who you are, and to apply the authority of the Word of God into our life. Thank you, Jesus, for this time that we have together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you remember from last week in Mark's Gospel, chapter 10, Jesus has come into an area of Herod Antipas, who had John killed for challenging Herod on his unlawful divorce. The Pharisees, well, now they're questioning Jesus the same way that they questioned John, hoping for the same result. They wanted Jesus dead. And they hoped that Herod would get rid of him just like he did with John the Baptist. We call this a relational problem. The question that they asked, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Oh, Pastor Chet, please don't talk about divorce. I brought a friend. and I don't know. I mean, it won't go over that well. And I just don't know if that's the best thing for you to do right now. Pastor Chet, don't do it. I am. And besides, Pastor Chet, do you know that in the church, in the church, recent Barna poll, that over 50% of people in the church are divorced? Well, this is as touchy as a subject as it was then. Pastor Chet, you better be careful, otherwise you'll get beheaded. (laughs) Well, I've decided to handle it the same way that Jesus did. Take a look. 
if you would. We'll pick it up. We know where he's at. Verse 2, the Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, what, that's a question, what did Moses command you? You see, I'm going to choose to handle it the same way Jesus did. I'm going to answer the question by asking a question. Why is divorce so difficult for us to discuss? Well, I believe the answer is as complicated today as it was then. And it causes just as strong emotions today as it did with Herod back then. And I want you to see how Jesus handled this controversial question. He said, he asked a question. And in this, oh, in this, I believe he reveals one of the greatest secrets to handling any marital crisis. In fact, any relational crisis, we just simply answer with a question. You see, Jesus is in the middle of a relational problem, and I believe he's showing us one of the greatest secrets to solve problems. So when your wife asks you after spending $150 on a dress, and she asks you, do you like my dress? Husbands, you respond with a question, do you like it? (laughs) As frustrated as you might be, Trust me, you'll end the argument with a question. When your husband asks you, why don't you just sit and watch the game with me? And you don't want to. Don't say you don't want to. Wife, simply say, what game is it? (laughs) If someone questions your faith and they challenge your faith, don't challenge them back. Ask a question. Well... What do you believe? And why do you believe that? Why go into an argument? If someone at Thanksgiving looks at you and says, why are you here? Respond to your family and say, where would you like me to be? (laughs) Questions end problems. And with so much wisdom... Jesus moves them from the question they asked to the question they should have asked. Because they had a problem. The foundation of this question, Jesus describes what their problem was. Would you take a look, Mark chapter 10, Mark chapter 10, verse 4. So they said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce, and we'll get there in the coming week, and to dismiss her. And Jesus answered and said to him, Because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. There's the basis of the question, the hardness of the heart. But from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. That's a sermon that we'll get to next week. He made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined, I've underlined that word, to his wife. And the two shall become one flesh, so then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. See, the foundation of their question was the hardness of their heart. The foundation of their question was based on, well, we've lost the music in the melody of our marriage. We've fallen out of love, a.k.a. I'd like a newer version. 
We don't have anything in common anymore. This is not the person I married. Well, I'm just not feeling it anymore. In fact, there's more misery than there is melody. There's more contention than there is peace. That could define anyone's marriage at any given point. But these people were done because the hardness of the heart had developed. Let me tell you what the hardness is. We don't want to do it God's way. We want to do it our way. Look at Hebrews chapter 3. I ask you to turn there. Go ahead. Go with me. Hebrews chapter 3. And what the Bible is talking about is when the children of Israel refused to go into the promised land when God told them to. So take a look at Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7. Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tested me, tried me, and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was angry with that generation, and I said, they always go astray in their heart. They've not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Beware, brethren, lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief. Now, there it describes the hardness of heart, unbelief. I don't want to do it God's way. His, the authority of the word of God is not the authority in my life. In departing from the living God, but exhort or challenge one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. You see, God told the children of Israel, go into the promised land, but they chose not to do it. They chose to go their way. Now, the promised land was the best life for them. Yeah, it was filled with trials. There were going to be battles that were going to be in the promised land, and they were afraid to enter in. And so because of the trial and because of the battles, they made the decision, no, 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 no. those people are like giants. They're going to squash our children, so we are not going to go into the promised land. Do you realize that God has a promised land for your marriage? And by choosing to let the word of God be the authority in your life, if you're choosing to go his way, he will actually help us into the promised land of our relationship with our spouse. we got to be careful that we don't look at the trials just like the children of Israel did and rebel against what God's best is for us, what is God's heart for us. Now, what is God's heart for our marriage? Well, go back with me to Mark chapter 10. Jesus, he takes them all the way back to the beginning. Look at verse 6. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. Mark chapter 10, verse 6. Now, I told you verse 6 is a message in and of itself. We're going to get to it next week. He made them male and female. But in the context so that you understand what Jesus is trying to get across, Jesus is describing that he made male and he made female. And let me tell you why. Adam was alone. Adam was alone and God wanted him to have a companion. God wanted him to have a friend. He didn't want him to be alone. Take a look at Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. It's on the screen. And the Lord God said, looking at Adam, and Adam was looking at the giraffe, and the giraffe just wasn't attractive. 
You know, he was looking at the elephant. He's like, well, that one is not for me, okay? It's not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs. Now, the word is side. He didn't take from his head because the man's not above, and he didn't take from his feet because the woman is not below. He took from the side. She is from his side. Now, keep that in mind. Closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called, whoa, man, because she was taken out. Now, I don't know if he said it like that or where it came from, but it kind of fits, right? Here comes this naked woman walking up to this naked whoa. Now, she's not a giraffe. Whoa, man. Some of you are shaking your head at me. Don't do that. One author says it like this. Meeting you fulfills a void in me. Do you realize that God made Eve for Adam? He made Adam for Eve. In fact, in Genesis chapter 5, verse 2, look how God refers to marriage. He created the male and female and blessed them and called them mankind in the day they were created. God looks at marriage as a blessing, not a burden. The wisest man in the world would say this to his wife. Look at Proverbs 18.22. Solomon says this. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Solomon must have been in an argument with his wife when he wrote this one. <laughs> and obtains favor from the Lord. Now here's what I want you to do. Go ahead and grab your spouse's hand. Husbands, look at your wife in the face and grab her face and say, You're a good thing. Go ahead, do it, do it, do it. Come on. No, don't do it like this. You're a good thing. No, no, no. You're a good, and give a look. You're a good thing. Go ahead. Maybe look at her and go, whoa, man. If you are married, if you have a wife, God has poured out his favor on you. All the single people are crying. <laughs> I had no one that touched me. <laughs> and the guy's going, I've got no one to touch. <laughs> so I want to take a commercial break for a minute. I want to talk to my singles. Listen carefully. Because a message on marriage, singles will check out. But singles, listen to this. Checking out on this message would be like checking out on being a Christian on earth just because you're not at heaven yet. Listen carefully. You see, there's something that I want you to understand about this particular understanding of marriage. We've been promised to be with Christ for an eternity. We're going to spend an eternity with him, and we spend this entire life preparing for that moment in heaven. 
Singles need to listen more intently to this message than anyone in this room. However, singles, listen carefully. Though you still may be moping, I want to move you to ministry. Because singleness should also be celebrated. Singleness should be celebrated. And these principles that I'm about to speak about, you can apply to every aspect of your life in the relationships that you have. And I want to tell you why singleness should be celebrated. Look what Paul says to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 32. 1 Corinthians 7, 32. But I want you to be without care. He who is unmarried cares for the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. Whoa, Paul! What did you just say? You have to understand who he's writing to. The first century Jewish world where marriage was a god. Marriage was idol. Because if you weren't married, you didn't have anyone to take care of you. And if you weren't married, you couldn't have children. And children were the social security program of the first century world. You didn't pay into a system. You died in your children's house. That's just what it was. Your children were your social security. And here, Paul, in the first century world, where people think that marriage is everything, he says, now to the unmarried, you can celebrate because you can give your whole life to the Lord. Paul is saying, don't trust a spouse to take care of you. Don't trust children to take care of you. In our Christian faith, Paul who was single and Jesus who was single, he celebrates because he was able to give his life wholly to the Lord because the time is short. The time is short. And what Paul is making clear, this time of singleness gives you the greatest opportunity to give your whole life to God. So singles, don't be moping through this message. Be moved into ministry and use every aspect of the time as a single to give glory to God. Amen? Listen, when I got married... Listen, before I got married, I was going to Liberia. I was going here. I was going there. Then when I got married, can I? Can I go there? Can I? Can I do that? Can I go out with my friends? Can I actually live a life? Like, can I? (laughs) Celebrate, guys. Let the married people say, Amen. Amen. Mark chapter 10, take a look at verse 7. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined, joined to his wife. Key word. This word means glued together. Now, the Greek writers were translating from the Hebrew in this particular text. And the Hebrew in Genesis, the word means stuck together. So the best Greek word they could find was to be glued together. And let me tell you what Jesus is doing. Jesus is making it clear that the question they should have asked was this. You should have asked, what makes a marriage stick together? 
You shouldn't have asked, is it okay for me to get a divorce? The reason why you ask that question is because you want out. So you're trying to figure out a way in the Jewish religion, how can I get out of this situation? But Jesus is revealing that's a hard heart. The question you should have asked is, what makes marriage stick together? This word joined, it's also the word where we get use the word for covenant. Because marriage is a covenant. It's a commitment between yourself and God. It's a covenant word. Ripping apart a marriage would be like gluing two sheets of paper, pink and blue. Leaving it for three days and then trying to rip it apart. There will always be a little piece of one on the other. It will never be completely blue and completely pink again. God wanted to protect from that in its original intent of marriage. And so what we're going to do today is talk about the super glue that God gives us in his word. And we're going to answer the question that Jesus wants us to ask, what makes a marriage stick together? Now, we're going to get to divorce in just a few, uh, 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 I think, I believe next week. But I want you to understand the real question we've got to ask. What makes a marriage stick together? If you're taking note, being joined by being friends. Being joined, and I'm going to give us just a couple of concepts, and I've got about 35 minutes to talk about the marital experience. And there are hundreds of books that you can read, Christian books, about marriage. But what I want to do is hone in on just a few of the principles of what we can do to stick our marriages together, to be a superglue. And the first is be joined by being friends. Do you remember Genesis chapter 2? He made a helper comparable to him. Isn't that what friends are? Isn't that what a friend is? Someone that you like to be around? You see, the word comparable is a very important word. It means face-to-face. It means opposite. It means in front of. So let me give you a word picture to describe the word comparable, and you'll think of your friend. Think with me for just a moment. Two puzzle pieces that are completely different but perfectly fit together. They're opposite each other, but they perfectly fit. And when you put the puzzle piece in, the picture begins to evolve. That's the word comparable. Well, doesn't that describe best friends? You just perfectly fit. You meet someone who's like, it's a spirit connect. It's a kindred connect. It's kind of one of those things where it's like, wow. I mean, like, yeah, okay, we can talk about this freely. We can talk about this only. Being joined by being friends. I've always told my kids, don't click in relationship on Instagram first. Don't do it. Become a friend And let a friend evolve into a relationship. Don't just jump into relationship. And let me tell you why. Friends last. Friends last forever. Proverbs says it like this. In Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17, 17, the Bible says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times. Now take a look at what the wife wrote. Now, if you're not part of our 7 o'clock Song of Solomon, I encourage you to come tonight. But in the middle of a fight, 
the couple, they have had an argument. She knows she can go to her husband, and this is what she said. This is my beloved, and this is my friend. She said this after an argument because she trusted the friendship that existed between the two of them. Hey, church, friendship is a necessity in marriage. It's a necessity. God wanted Adam to have Eve because he wanted him to have a best friend because friends love at all times. Now, that's important in marriage because marriage has a way to exposing the real you. All, about, all of a sudden, baby sweetie honey pumpkin can become, I wish he were a tomato, and I'd squash him. <laughs> Ever happened to anyone before? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? You ever wake up in the morning and be like, really? I was waiting for someone to be honest. (laughs) Friendship's a necessity. And the best way to look at marriage is the journey of two friends purposing to always fit together. Purposing to always fit together. Now, let me tell you what this involves. It involves transparency. It involves transparency. In fact, In James chapter 5, verse 16, if you want to be a good friend, you've got to be transparent. You can't be hiding things. So he says this, confess your trespasses to your friend, to one another. Pray for one another that you may be healed. You see, in a marriage, we've got to be transparent. We've got to communicate things that are going on in our heart. And if you've got a friend, you're not afraid to do that. But if you don't have a friend and you're afraid that they're going to explode or they're going to go off if you say anything, well, that's a problem. You've got to move from the relationship and get back to the friendship. But another requirement of marriage, listen, is not just that we're transparent. We've got to be committed. A friend loves at all times. That is a commitment word that our culture is not good with. And in Romans chapter 15, where we need to be committed is when there's problem. You see, the children of Israel didn't want to go in the promised land because they were afraid of problem. They didn't want to deal with the trial. But the Bible says in Romans 15, 14, we've got to be bold enough as friends to admonish one another. We've got to be able to go to our spouse and say, listen, what you did hurt me. A good friend says, I'm sorry. A good friend says, I can't believe I did that. You see, this is where what we talked about last week, we've got the tools of forgiveness, the tools of repentance, and they're going to come in handy, especially when you're good friends. Secondly, I want us to be joined by being loving. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 3, love is the bond, it's the superglue of perfection. Love is the bond of perfection. Now, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 5, okay? Ephesians chapter 5, 
I want, we're going to pick it up there in verse 28. Ephesians chapter 5, I'm going to pick it up right in the middle of this marriage illustration there in verse 28. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 28. So husbands, circle this word if you would, ought to love their own wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Husbands ought to love their own spouses. Paul calls this a great mystery. We ought to love our spouses. Now, this is the second time that Paul has brought this up. Earlier in verse 25, he says, husbands, love your wives. But this time, he goes a step further. He gives a direction to act. You ought to love your wives. Because action is the biblical definition of love not feeling. Jesus set the example for us. Take a look at 1 John chapter 3. By this we know love. Because he, let me do it like this. By this we know how to be committed to marriage. Because he laid down his life, he acted on our behalves. Now before I go any further, I need to let you know When Jesus laid down his life for you, you weren't looking so pretty. You had morning face, not evening face on. In fact, the Bible says that we were enemies with God. We were in a fight with God. And in the middle of the fight, he chose to lay down his life. Going on, the scripture says in 1 John chapter 3, and we also ought, action, command, to lay down our lives for the brethren, for your spouse. But whoever has this world's goods and sees his brother in need and shuts up his heart from him, how does the love of God abide in him? In other words, you've got to act. My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. He says biblical love is don't tell me, show me. All the wives just went, please don't say that. I love when he says I love you. Please don't say he doesn't have to, because now I'm going to go home. I'll never hear it again. No, no, no. That's the point. If the action to express love to your wife is that she hears you say, I love you, then you are willing to tell her and act on that because you will lay down your life for your friend. You see, the truth of marriage is that we've got, in our today's world, is we've got a romantic view of marriage. And it's based on feeling. But we're directed to love. And listen, the Bible says to love your neighbor as yourself. Who is more closer to you than the person that's sleeping in the bed next to you? They are more of a neighbor. Your spouse is more of a neighbor to you than anyone else around you. And it's amazing sometimes how we just don't feel like it. You ever had a bad night with your spouse? You wake up the next morning and you look at your spouse and you go, you're not as pretty as you were yesterday morning. You don't say it, but you feel it. Let me tell you something. Every marriage has seasons where you don't feel it. 
But feeling it is not a biblical marriage. Choosing it is. Let me tell you why. Jesus wasn't feeling it in the garden. He wasn't feeling it. In fact, he said in the garden, if there can be another way. And remember, you weren't looking so pretty when he was in the garden. You were at war with God. In fact, if we were there, we probably would have been the ones that crucified him. And he says, Father, forgive them. He didn't operate on what he felt. He operated by faith. And he loved us. The Bible says that we even know love because he first loved us. Jesus chose to set the example of John chapter 15, verse 13. Take a look at the screen. The greater love has no one than this, than to lay down the act of laying down one's life for his friend. So in the midst of that trial, purpose in the greatest trials of marriage, to perform an act of love and lay down your life. In the middle of World War II, when uh, the Brits were trying to get all of England to get along so that they could work together, C.S. Lewis would go on the radio and listen to what he said. Do not waste time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. And as soon as we do this, we find one of the greatest secrets. When you're behaving as if you love someone, you will presently come to love them. Just act in love, even when you don't feel like it. Thirdly, be joined by being dependent. And I'm not talking about being codependent. I'm talking about being dependent on the Spirit of God. You see, since we're here in Ephesians chapter 5, I need to give you the context of why this illustration of marriage is being brought to the forefront with the Apostle Paul. Go back with me to Ephesians 5, verse 18. Ephesians 5, we're going to pick it up in verse 18. Now, I know in our Bible this is in the middle of a paragraph, but I need to let you know something. In the original text, there are no paragraphs, there are no chapters, and there are no numbers. Paragraphs, chapters, and numbers are not inspired. Man did their best attempt to try to make sense to group things into place. Now, I'm very thankful that I can say, turn to Ephesians chapter 5, and we all know where to go. But it doesn't mean they're inspired. So what Paul is doing here, he's presenting a topic. And I want you to see what the topic is, even though it's in the middle of your paragraph. It's a topic that he wants addressed. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Don't be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. You see, Paul... He is speaking about being filled with the Spirit. Being filled with the Spirit. That's what Paul's talking about. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 18, he says, Be being filled. There's the Greek. Be continually filled with the Spirit of God. Be continually filled with the Spirit of God. In other words, become dependent on the Spirit 
so you can make music in your marriage. And the direction for being filled in the Spirit, where he concludes, look at verse 21, submit to one another. Did you see that? One author states that we need to make of most importance becoming as humble as Jesus with one another. Submission. Become a servant. And Jesus set the most incredible example when he washed as the leader. Listen, husbands. As the leader, he washed the disciples' feet. We've got to be dependent on the Spirit to put the music of our marriage with our display of humility. What kind of marriage do you want? You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy. And then she starts singing, when skies are gray, you'll never know, dear, how much I love you. How many of you want to wake up and look at your wife and go, oh, happy day. And she goes, oh, happy day. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy How many of us have missed the music in our marriage and we're not singing no happy day? Our marriage looks more like a country song. You lost your car, you lost your friend, you lost your dog, you lost everything. You ain't singing no happy day, you're singing a country song. Jesus wants to put the music back into our marriage and he says the best way to do it is be filled with the Spirit of God. And that requires a lot of humility to be a servant. Let me tell you why. It's Ephesians chapter 5. Some of you, stop laughing. It's the only song I could come up with. (laughs) Ephesians chapter 5, verse 33. Take a look at why we need this humility. Nevertheless, let each one of you in particular so love his own wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Hey, ladies, it's going to take a lot of humility to respect your husband. I'll never forget, Andre and I, our first year of marriage, we were in the middle of an argument, strong fellowship. And she looked at me and she went, I just can't believe you. And I said, you're rolling your eyes at me. No, I am not. Gentlemen, it's going to take a lot of humility, a lot of humility to love your wife as Christ loved the church. You see, I went into that argument, and I wanted my way. And we had two rules in our marriage at that point. The first rule was this. Number one, I am always right. The second rule was this. If I'm ever wrong, refer back to rule number one. And Andre and I were in the middle of it. Like, we were going at it. Anyone ever done that before? One hand. God bless you guys. Thank you, Jocelyn. Hand two, okay? Hand three, thank you. We were in the middle of it. 
and I walk in the room, and I am about to just say, I can't, but you know, you know how it is, right? Anyone know how it is? You, come on, humble yourself. <laughs> and when I go in the room, this is what I saw. Lord Jesus, forgive me for what I did. And would you just help our marriage? This was me. Andrea, how? (laughs) When I saw her on her knees in prayer, dependent on the Spirit to get through this moment, it ended the argument. Now, ladies, let me tell you something. I am not saying when you've made a mistake and your husband walks in the door, I'm not saying that you pray like this. Jesus, he just came in. Help him. Help him. Okay, that is not what I am saying. That is sarcastic. That is not being dependent on the Spirit. But in the heat of the moment... Can you purpose to allow it to remind you that you are two self-centered people and that you desperately need the Spirit to give you self-control? That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. It's where we cry out, God, help me because I'm being self-centered right now and I need to submit to your Spirit. I need to humble myself and I need to be self-controlled. But let I remind you, Self-control is only one of the fruit of the Spirit. There's love and joy and peace. And who doesn't want that in their marriage? And it's available for every couple who's dependent on the Spirit. Amen? Would you pray with me? Our ushers are going to be coming forward to help us with communion. Serve us communion. Our Father and our God, we come before you in Jesus' name, so thankful for your word. And I pray now as we walk into this moment of holiness that you would minister to us. Jesus' name. I started the conversation talking about the wrong question. They asked about divorce. Now, the problem was that their hearts were hard. They wanted to get out. And I know sitting in this auditorium, there's a lot of people that have been divorced. And so you're wondering to yourself, wait a second, what, what, what did he say about it and what do I do about it? Well, what Jesus does is, and it's why we're celebrating communion, What Jesus does is he takes them to the question they should have asked. What helps a marriage stick together? That's what he does. But he gives what God intended from the beginning. He made Adam for Eve and he made Eve for Adam. This was God's intention for the very beginning. The problem is sin entered the world. And what God intended for us was the garden. But now we have thorns and thistles. His ideal for us in marriage 
was that we'd be married for a lifelong period of time. His ideal for us in life is that in our relationships, there's no anger, there's no frustration, there's no screaming, there's no yelling. That's his ideal. But the problem is we're sinners, self-centered. And so what Jesus did, he came and he died on the cross because none of us could live up to the ideal of God. And because he died on the cross, not only is divorce forgiven, but every sin that we've ever committed can be forgiven. And even as a Christian, if we sin, the Bible says if we'll just confess our sin, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us, not from some unrighteousness, but from all unrighteousness. The church has done wrong to those that have been divorced because they've separated them out as special sinners only to cover what they were struggling with themselves. He can forgive all. And so today we stop to celebrate communion to remind us of the fact that on the cross he said, Father, forgive them. They haven't lived up to the ideal. They don't know what they're doing. Sin has affected the world. And now, because of the cross, there's hope that you can get back into right relationship. If you're a believer, now is your time to remember you can get back into right relationship with God because of the cross. So on that night, on that night, he took the bread and he said, this is my body which is broken for you. And as long as you eat this, I want you to remember me. I want you to remember I paid the price of your sin. So church, let's remember the Lord. On the same night, he took the cup and he said, this is my blood, the cup of the new covenant. And let me tell you what the new covenant meant to those that were there. You can be in relationship with the living God. He said, this is my blood cup of the new covenant and as long as you drink this I want you to remember me church let's remember for through the confession of sin we can be in right relationship with God let's remember the Lord oh Jesus to God be the glory for what you did for us that when we weren't looking so good Your act of love bestowed on us changed our lives. And I pray that the act of love would change every marriage in this room. Thank you, Lord, for the relationships that you've given us. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank you especially for the relationship we have with Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.